0: Our sermon text for today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and we'll be reading from verse 6. So please stand. Everything God tells us in his word is absolutely true. Please give ear to God. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Have a seat. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, our dear Lord, we want to confess today before you that we are sinners. Lord, as the psalmist says, there is nothing good in us apart from you. Lord, we are hard-hearted, and this week we've sinned against you in many ways that we don't even realize Father, forgive us. We thank you that in your grace that you speak to us the gospel, that you have sent your Son. Lord, we pray that you work by your Holy Spirit now, soften our hearts, and help us to understand and believe today. We ask in Christ's name, amen. So let me begin today by asking you a question. And that is, do you prefer the night or the day? It seems like there are different kinds of people. Some of us are night owls. I, I tend to be a night owl myself. So other people, they, they love the morning. They love when the sun comes up in the morning. It gives them energy. But night owls like me, we tend to... Get away from the sun. We close our blinds, and I even put a mask over my eyes. I want to stay away from the lights. I prefer the darkness. <laughs> I'm a child of darkness. So it's comfortable to me to be in the dark. The sun, when I'm out in the sun, it can sunburn me especially because I don't have that much hair on the top of my head. So I have to be careful with the sun. You know, in literature, we have this idea of of the vampire, don't we? The vampire can't go out during the daytime. The vampire has to stay in the dark. The vampire is active at night doing bad things. So, other people, they love the light. They are early birds. As soon as the sun comes up, they jump out of bed, the big old smile, and they're singing a song. They love that light. They welcome the bright sunlight. It invigorates them, it energizes them. Now, in today's text in the Gospel of John, the Lord Jesus is called the true light. He's the true light. So to understand what that means, we have to consider the imagery in this gospel. What's going on here? You see, John understands that the world we live in is a place of utter darkness, blackness, a totally dark place. Have you ever been in a place that's completely dark, has absolutely no light at all? It's hard to find in the city because we have so many lights, especially in Seoul. All the night lights are always flashing at us, and you always see the little red crosses in the city, all the churches, and other less holy places shining at night. But I remember one time I was down in a tunnel. I happened to be going through a tunnel in, at my campus when I was in college, Northwestern College. And we had this tunnel, maybe some of you have been there, but the light, the power went off. Power went off at night, and there was absolutely no light. My friends and I were grasping around. We couldn't see anything. And I'm so old, we didn't even have cell phones. Nowadays, we at least have our cell phone, we can turn the light and shine on and find out where we're going, right? Right? So that's what I think of when John talks about the the darkness. Absolutely no light. Completely wicked and evil and ignorant. No knowledge of the truth. So just grasping around. Now, John here, he's really pulling from the imagery in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 has the same kind of imagery this idea of complete darkness. Do so you remember how the Bible starts? It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness, darkness was over the face of the deep. So it's that same idea there. But the darkness, it didn't last. didn't last forever. Because what was created on the first Day of creation. It says, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. So likewise, new creation comes in Christ. And new creation as well. It begins with light, with God shining his light into the utter darkness. And this, this is what Jesus Christ is to the world. He is the true light. You see, apart from Christ, we're utterly dark. We're lost, completely shut out from the light. But he's shining the light of truth upon all of creation, So there's no one who has not been hit by his light. And yet, there are different reactions. There are different reactions to the light, aren't there? See, the people of the world hate the light, hate the light, and try to get away from it, recoil from it. You can say that they're spiritual vampires. The world tries its best to stay out of the light, to avoid it. Why? because it reveals their own darkness, darkness in their own hearts, the darkness of their sin in their lives. And the sin in the darkness is what they love. But another kind of people are being born. And they are not born naturally, not through flesh and blood, but rather were born supernaturally. Born not as children of darkness, but as children of God, who receive the light of Christ. So this is the main theme we want to see in our text today. As Christ shines the light into the darkness of the world, every person must either receive that light or reject it. So we're going to look at that in three points in our text, three W's. First of all, witness Secondly, world. And thirdly, welcome. So, witness, world, and welcome. First of all, verses 6 through 8 talk about the witness. Look at that again. It says There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. He makes it clear here that John did not send himself. You see, a lot of people today send themselves on missions. And we can say that they are false teachers, they're false prophets. But rather, John had a message that was given him directly from God. He sent from the Lord. And that is why, that is exactly why his message was true, authoritative. And we read about this, as Don read for us in Malachi 3. It says, Behold, I, it's the Lord speaking, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way. He will prepare the way before me. So John's message was to prepare the way. But how? Here it tells us, calls him a witness. So, what does a witness do? A witness testifies. We have here courtroom language. John testified. He used the Old Testament prophets, and he received prophecy himself from the Spirit directly. And he uses this to prove, to testify to what? Testify to the light, to Christ, that Jesus is the true, the long, prophesied messiah the anointed king and the suffering servant of israel that's what he testified to and we see john's witness is preserved in all four gospels so it says here that his commission was so that all might believe through him see that it's true, because whenever the gospel is preached, whenever Christ is preached, we hear it, John's preaching, his mission, his witness, is in those gospels. And yet we're told here, as important as his mission was, it says, he is not the light. That's very important. The witness must always be subordinate to the light itself. See, there's a possibility of confusing the witness with the light. Now, you remember Jesus asked his disciples one time, he said, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And one of them said, some say John the Baptist. So there was a bit of a confusion. And so John very clearly says here, No, he is not the light. And this is a confusion that can happen. You see, in places where leaders are given much authority, perhaps too much authority and respect, and I think, you know, this is pretty common in places like Korea, but it's common in many places. The pastors and the elders, we need to be especially careful, especially careful that we are pointing away from ourselves to the light, to Christ. It's not about us, but it's about the one we're witnessing to, the true light. And this is a problem a lot in the modern church. We call it the celebrity pastor culture. It's, a lot, it's become a big problem in evangelicalism. People putting their trust... And focus on the witness rather than on the one who's being witness to, to Christ himself. So in this way, the gospel witness should have the same spirit of humility that Count von Zinzendorf had. He said this, he said, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. I'll say that one more time preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. What do you think he meant by that? basically saying it's about Jesus. It's about the gospel. It's not about you. So take your eyes off yourself and point others to Christ. So This brings us to our second point here. Verses 9 through 11 talks about the world's reaction to the light. Look at verse nine. It says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So because Christ, it says here, he shines the light of truth. To who? To everyone. So the world, the world knows, the world knows better, you could say. And yet, the world chooses not to receive Christ. Now in psychology and in the law, we think about this idea called willful blindness. Willful blindness. This is when, for example, your mom, she keeps calling you and you don't want to talk to her, so you turn your phone off. Turn your phone off, and so you can't hear the messages. You can't hear the phone ringing. So you use this as an excuse, and you say, Oh, sorry, Mom, didn't hear, didn't hear the phone, didn't hear the messages. Right? But you're willfully being blind. It's the same idea. Everybody knows the truth of God, actually, in one sense. It's objectively out there. God reveals himself. And yet, people willfully turn a blind eye to it. You know, on on Judgment Day, there's a philosopher named Bertrand Russell. He said, on Judgment, he said, if he, what would you, someone Christian asked him, what would you say if, if you met God? after you die. And he said, I would say, not enough evidence. Not enough evidence, God. Not enough evidence. But that's absolutely false. There is plenty of evidence. Christ shines his light on all men. So we know that throughout time, everyone has been privileged to what we call general revelation. And so, all are without excuse. But now, after the coming of Christ, there's even more light of God shining. The gospel is being spread. It's being spread throughout every tribe and every tongue and every nation. Throughout the whole earth. And so, people are even more without excuse. And yet, they reject him but that's bad. But even worse here, it says that Christ's own people. He came to his own people. Who is that? The Jews. He came to the Jews. And what was their reaction? They, They who had the most light, they rejected him too. So I want you to imagine for a second, you know, a lot of us, Foreigners, we, once a year or something, every few years, go back home, go back to our hometown. And I was there last month, and, you know, yeah, my family and my friends, everyone welcomed me very well. That's what you expect when you come to your own people, right? Your own people should love and welcome you. Well, that's kind of what Jesus did. Jesus came to his own people, the Jews, and yet they disowned him. Can you imagine going to your hometown and instead of being welcomed, the people disown you, your family, your own family, your mom and dad disown you, even want to kill you? Well, Jesus even went to his hometown of Nazareth and people didn't believe him. They rejected him. He said, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own household. Now, Israel should have recognized the light of Christ. They should have. When he came to them, you see, Jesus, this is the one. He is the one who delivered them out of Egypt. He's the one who had given them the law. And he's the one who won them victory in the conquest of Canaan. He did so many things for them. And the Jews thought that being part of Israel secured their salvation. They thought that they didn't need a suffering Messiah to die for their sins. See, in a similar way, you who are in the church today, you need to take heed, lest you use your proximity, your closeness to the things of God, lest you use them as an excuse to avoid Christ. Beware lest you use religion to make you feel secure and refuse to receive the light of Jesus because the light it uncomfortably shines on us on your on our sin so beware do not make religion or the church the thing that keeps you away from Christ that's possible and this brings us to our third point, the welcome. This is verse 12 and following. It says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So it talks about receiving Jesus here. And it defines it. What does it mean to receive Jesus? To receive him is to have believed in his name. So to receive Christ and to become a child of God, it is very simple. You see, there isn't a list of commandments here to receive Christ, nor is there a list of rituals to receive Christ. No, no. What is needed to become a child of God is simple. Believe. Believe in his name. So what is it to believe? To believe means to know. It means to assent. Say yes, amen. And it means to trust. Trust Christ. So if you truly believe in him, then you are Most assuredly, a child of God. There's no doubt about it. Now, sometimes people tell me that they consider themselves Christians, but they say, well, I'm not a serious Christian, or I'm not a sincere Christian. I'm a Christian, but I'm not serious. I've heard that many times, actually. But ultimately, we see here there are only two types people on this earth. Only two. There's no in between. You see, there are those who have truly received Christ, those who have truly believed in him, trusted in him. And there are those who haven't. There's no third group. And it's your response, it's your response to the light of Christ that differentiates you. See, either you are in the world and you walk in darkness or you're a child of God and you walk in the light. There's really no in-between. Now, verse 13 is one of the most important verses in the Bible, in the whole Bible, for understanding salvation, for understanding it properly. And it says... Neither flesh nor blood, it's talking there about natural descent, so neither flesh nor blood nor the will of man, and the will of man you can think of as human choice, so neither flesh nor blood nor the will of man can produce a true child of God. Rather, it says you must be born of God, you must be born of God. What does that mean to be born of God? It's talking about a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. We call it regeneration, the Holy Spirit giving us new life, enabling us to receive Christ, to believe in Christ. You see, our salvation is based solely upon God's work not any act of man. Now, this is not just some theory. It's not just some intellectual theory for the theologians to muse about, but rather, this is the very basis of our assurance. How can you know that you are truly saved, that you will not fall away? Well, the uh, old Preacher Charles Simeon talks about this in his sermon. And here's what he says. I think he sums it up well. He said, Had the divine life originated from man, either from themselves or others, they must have looked to man to carry it forward. He says, The friend whose kind attentions the friend by whose kind attentions they had been converted is absent or on a journey or is dead and his help can be no more attained. Or the good dispositions which they themselves put forth and the virtue of which they were brought to God have been overpowered by temptation and are no longer at their command. They feel a hardness of heart which they cannot remove and a distraction of mind which they cannot fix. So if your salvation is ultimately due to what someone else has done or what you have done, you cannot, you cannot be trusted it will last, you see, because you can change and your friends can be gone and change as well. But he says, if, if God found me when I sought him not and made known to me when I inquired not after him, he will not turn his back upon me when I seek him, nor turn a deaf ear to me when I call upon him. He says, if, if he had only a created power whereunto to rely He must, have, on many occasions, sink into utter despondency. You see, if your salvation was your own doing, your own will, or another person's act, then you'd have nothing to stand on. But it's only because God is the one who started and continues your salvation that you can know, you can be absolutely sure, he will not turn his face from you. Now, if it's impossible by the will of man to receive Christ, does that mean it is useless to call people to believe? This is what a lot of people say. If that's true, then why do you even call people to believe? Well, no, it's not useless. I want you to think of one of the main miracles that Christ did and that is Jesus told the lame man the lame man cannot walk by his own will right he's lame his legs are broken he's paralyzed can't get up and yet Jesus told him pick up your mat pick up your mat and rise and walk And I think it's the same way when we share the gospel with unbelievers. We tell people, knowing full well that they can't believe on their own power. Yet We tell them, believe, repent, believe. We know that it has to be done by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to enable them to believe and to walk, to know God. And yet, we are called to share the gospel, to give that command to believe. So no, it's not useless to call people to faith. Now, it says, not only, it says here that you can not become a child of God by the will of man. It also says it is not of the flesh or blood. And that means, in other words, it's not by natural descent, being born in the normal way in this this earth. But let's think about this for a second. Doesn't this conflict, and if you were a Jew, you might have thought this way, doesn't this conflict with those promises, those covenant promises that God had made to Abraham, especially thinking here at Genesis 17, and this is what God told Abraham. He said, I will establish my covenant between me and you. Not just, doesn't stop there. He says, and your offspring, and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you. Doesn't stop there. And your offspring after you. And I will be their God. So the Jews hearing this, they might have thought, Well, God promised Abraham that his offspring, those that are born to him, would be blessed. So how can he say how can he how can he say that it's not by blood? Well actually this does not conflict at all. Because What it's saying here is that membership in the visible church and the covenant sign are indeed given to the children of believers. And yet it's always been true, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's always been true that the saving benefits of that covenant, they don't come automatically. You can't just automatically be saved as being born to a Christian. But no, they've always required regeneration of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit wrought faith. Now, if you remember Abraham's sons, Isaac and Ishmael, they were both circumcised. And yet, only Isaac, only Isaac was born of God, as it talks about here. Only Isaac Receive those saving benefits, blessings of the covenant. So church, as, we, as, we, as we've seen in the gospel today, Jesus is the true light. He's the true light. And he shines that truth to all people. Therefore, we must all respond. We must all respond to that light. And there's only two responses, Receiving him or rejecting him? You see, you have no choice but to respond to Christ, to his light. So, what will be your response? Like the Jews at Jesus' time, it's, it's possible to use religion or use the church to cover yourself from the light of Christ. See, if you think that your good works can make you a child of God and you're sorely mistaken, you can try to keep your sins hidden. Many people, that's, that's what they're working at. Every day, keeping their sins hidden from God. But the truth is, that you can't ultimately hide from God. You will come under the spotlight of His judgment. So I urge you to look upon the light of Christ, receive Him by faith, and become a true child of God. And if you have received Christ, let me ask you are you looking around? Are you looking around you for how Christ is shining? How is he shining in the world, in your life? A lot of us tend to act like Christ's light is small, like it's a little flashlight or a little nightlight, and that nobody can really see it. But that's not true. We see here that Christ's light is not small at all. It's a huge floodlight, and it shines upon The whole earth. So, with that in mind, go boldly. Go boldly and call others to receive that light. It's the only way of salvation. So in closing, hear these words of Christ. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you and we praise you that your light, O Christ, goes and pierces into the darkness of this world, into the darkness even of our hearts. Lord, we pray that we might receive Christ, receive his light, not avoid it. Father, we pray like John the Baptist, that we would be good witnesses to that light. We thank you that we can only, that we have received you by the work of the Holy Spirit in us. We thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.